everybody. Welcome to the Jerk Show. Welcome to the Jerick Show, featuring your hosts Javad Malik and Eric Crone. Timely topics, poorly presented. I can already tell this is going to be one of those days. I tried to do the like, "Welcome to the Jerick Show," and I was going to hit go live immediately. But yeah, this is where you know, if there was a a producer in a studio somewhere, they would be screaming and like, "Get graphic on screen three. Anyway, uh, they, they want someone's head to roll on a platter. What better head to roll than Eric Crone? How you doing, sir? Yeah, it's another bright, beautiful day. And, and well done with that intro. So smooth, you look like a professional. We've only done like 90-something of these episodes. And you're, you're finally getting to the point that nearly okay. Okay, is it is it am i just above average now yeah <laughs> well i think <laughs> yeah, in all fairness we've changed up the graphics a little bit on you and you know did the the intro screen that's labeled outro which kind of threw you i get it i get it but uh you know it is midday where you're at there in london so excuses are kind of yeah limited yeah yeah you know what i i gotta say with all the improvements this is in the top three of my favorite podcasts hosted by two middle-aged men from opposite sides of the Atlantic talking about security in a poorly presented manner. <laughs> give you There's, there, there are three of those out there? <laughs> it must be. It must be. It can't be the top one. Anyway. Oh, goodness. Hack off. No, that's the wrong story. There's the right story. Federal Emergency Management Agency, Washington. Uh, what are they saying? They want, oh my God, these screens. Uh, Warned emergency alert systems could be hacked, hacked, I tell you, to transmit fake messages unless software is updated. Is that is it? Is there like an update now button on the emergency um, notification system or is it something more convoluted? I no, no I think what this is, a lot of it is distributed. It's not just like one thing that FEMA runs, but FEMA is warning all of these other places that uh, there's some pretty serious vulnerabilities in a lot of your stuff. You should probably get around to patching. Gee, I don't know. Have we ever heard that sort of thing before? Um, but, you know, what? well, what's key to this is so many of these things, are they're tied together, right? So, with a couple of uh, clicks and uh, and a few keystrokes, it goes out to everything from text messages to the TV thing to even those roadside signs that are there for construction in some places, those overheads. Those are all kind of tied together in this stuff. So they hit a button and voila, it spreads everywhere. The problem with this is if they have vulnerable systems out there, I mean, it may seem like, oh, whatever, you know, they say there's, oh, I don't know, like in Hawaii, an incoming missile problem, right? Um, yeah, that's scary. But does that really hurt anything? Well, the answer is, yeah. And oh, if we yeah, do, absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember when uh, Barack Obama was in the White House, the uh, AP, the Associated yeah. Press had their Twitter account taken over and they uh, they tweeted that something there was an explosion in the White House. And the stock market actually took a huge dip for yeah. a few minutes while they figured out that that wasn't really true, right? This kind of stuff, 
uh, in a in an official capacity could be really damaging to people too. I mean, people are going to freak out. Um, when it happened to Hawaii, as we mentioned, uh, there were traffic jams from honestly people like congregating under overpasses for safety, right? Because it yeah. said there's a ballistic missile inbound. So there were all of these repercussions. The phone system was pretty much taken offline. It was a it was a DDoS attack through somebody who accidentally uh, said, "No, this is real. This is not a drill." Um, even after saying it was a drill, and it just went stupid like that. Yeah, yeah. I like the second paragraph here, saying a cybersecurity researcher provided FEMA with compelling evidence and certain unpredictable. Were, were vulnerable. And I think that's such a rookie mistake to release it to the press a week before Black Hat. Go to Black Hat now and talk out of it. Drag it out for like 55 minutes on like how you were able to ninja your way in and send a fake text alert message and what have you. But uh, speaking of Hawaii, that the, the interesting one there is that there were certain websites. There's one website that is uh, not family friendly, so we won't mention it here. But uh, I'm sure you're laughing because you recognize even half the logo that you can see at the top of the screen. Well, they showed that when the missile alert came in, look at that drop in traffic. It was like minus 77%. The other 23% were probably had their headphones in and they weren't aware of the, the fact that the the, uh, the alert had gone out. Or they didn't care, which is like bravo. <laughs> right. uh, and then when, 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 the, uh, when, when it was found out it was a fake, then there was this sudden wave of relief, like, oh, thank goodness we're safe. <laughs> And uh, but but to your point, this isn't just the internet. This could be you could say this was the stock market when a fake thing went out. This could be the the share price of certain companies. This could be the price of Bitcoin. Who knows? And and if you know these things in advance, and if you can manipulate the markets in those ways, you can make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? The other thing that happens though, when things like this happen, is w when there are these errors, mistakes, even if it was a, a vulnerability that allowed somebody to do a fake one, um, this really erodes the consumer confidence or the the, uh, the citizen confidence in these systems. So then if something real is about to happen, they're going, oh, it's probably just another one of those fakes. And I mean, that could have real consequences. It really could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you're, you're all dealing in, in the public trust in in this case and as soon as you start erode the trust especially when it's between a government department and the public then you know things really turn south really quickly i mean you, and it's on it's unfortunate to see just in the in the public space how many systems we see that have challenges with staying up with patches right from uh you know from the critical infrastructure pieces uh and and those sorts of things to these sorts of alerting mechanisms um and we all know that patching is not a fun thing. Um, any of us that have been in IT or, or, or whatever for a while, we know that there's the possibility of outages and stuff. But by now, by now, these places should have good, mature uh, processes in place for doing patching where you can roll back if something happens. I mean, there's no excuse anymore to not be patching these kinds of systems. Well, I you know, someone once gave a really good tip because when you go camping, if you never, and I've never been camping because I'm not poor, but uh, for people that go camping, they say you go to the store and they'll show you all these tents and like, you know, tent, say tent for two people. 
and they'll try to sell you the expensive one or what have you and it's really easy it folds up and and, and what have you and he goes like always think to yourself how will this how will i feel putting this up or folding it down in the rain when it's blowing wind and it's dark because that's pretty much what the weather is like here in the uk most of the year he goes like it's really different when you're in the comfort of a shop buying that tent versus when you're actually out it's raining cold you, your partner's complaining your kids are complaining whatever your dog's not happy and, and you're trying to set this thing up or you're trying to fold it out and so, so always go for the simplest thing and and this is one thing we see with with government departments or whatever you when when you go for the cheapest option you're going for convenience at the point of purchase but what you should really ask yourself is that if there's a critical vulnerability on this system at 11 p.m on a friday how easy will it be for me to patch this and if the answer is it's not easy then i'd say don't go ahead with that or, or change your architecture in some way or have other mechanisms in place because just to say patch is uh, and it's difficult is is sometimes too late in the game these are things you should be thinking about you need to be thinking about uh, early on yeah and like i said we've had plenty of time to to get this straightened out these days this is not a new problem this has been around since the dawn of of the internet essentially and, and internet connected computers speaking of the dawn of the internet and problems that have been around since then 87% of ransomware found on the dark web has been delivered via malicious macros. Um, so now, now, are you referring to the ransomware as something that's been around since the dawn of time or the macro part? The macros. Okay, okay. That I could agree with maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is based on some research by, uh, by done by Venify, uh, and they uh, looked into some ransomware spread and uh it's spread by macros so there's nothing new there um you know there, there's some some you know some, for those of you watching on in in color tv at home <laughs> you can read some of the key bullet points on things if you're listening via the the audio podcast um then uh, i'm not going to read all of them out for you but um you know it's it just goes to show that i think the, the the tools and methods that criminals use to break into organizations hasn't really evolved all that much as much as we like to talk about apts and advanced I, they are persistent absolutely are they necessarily advanced i don't think so i i don't believe it is there's there's very very little evidence to suggest otherwise i mean you've got things like stutznet that you could say yes that was legitimately a custom made bit of malware um, you know, that was specifically targeted towards a particular facility or industry. You could talk about the NSA group. And yes, that's advanced because it bypasses a lot of the, uh, you, know, you know, uses a lot of zero days that aren't known. But for by and large, the, the 99% out there, there's nothing new. It's macros. It's spear phishing. It's, uh, you know, guessing someone's password. It's, oh, look, there's an unpacked system out there that we can just like, you know, gain shell on it. That's literally what what makes up the majority. Sorry, I'm ranting a bit here. I'm I'm a bit miserable today, and I, I'm saying it as it is. Uh, what do you think, Eric? Yeah, I agree with you on a part of that, and that is the initial attack vector hasn't changed, and it's low tech, and it's been going on forever. 
But once they're in the systems, the tools that they have and the tools they use are actually pretty serious in a lot of cases. They lay low, they're quiet, they, you know, they do a lot of things that uh, that are very advanced as opposed to the initial attack vector, which is true. It's the basics. And what I find interesting about this is we're talking about um, macros being a key way of ransomware spreading. And just a few weeks ago, we mentioned how Microsoft backtracked on their decision not to disable macros by default in like Word and, and the Office suite. They backtracked on that. So it's interesting to me to see that Microsoft said, oh, no, we're not going to do that now yet. Here comes a study that says this is really a dangerous thing that's going on out there. So I, I find that interesting from that standpoint. But you're absolutely right. It, it's the same old, same old when it comes to initial attack vectors. I mean, office macros have been around since forever and ever ago. And obviously still pretty effective. Absolutely. Unlike Eric. So, uh, hack off you. You are really grouchy today, aren't you? <laughs> no, leads to $190 million in bridge attack. Which bridge was attacked? How did they lose that much money? Enlighten us. Yeah, because I believe you, you picked this story. And uh, if, I, if I do a search for your name, would it show up in the story? It might show up in this little story on a C. <laughs> yes, yes, it might. Um, what was interesting about this is, so this was, <laughs> as we follow up our little story about the uh, uh, the FEMA stuff, this was caused by a patch. <laughs> and uh, apparently the patch initialized um, something there that, that basically allowed transactions to be auto-proven. So all the attackers had to do then, they figured this out, is basically copy and paste a previous entry and change the wallet address to their own. And what it did is it transferred cryptocurrency. Now, Nomad was a bridge. And what this means is it's where you can exchange, say, Ethereum for Bitcoin, for Dogecoin or whatever. Okay, so it's it's not like hitting the blockchain for each of those. It's a bridge between them. It's like a currency converter in traditional sense. Essentially, yeah. Essentially, it's it's you know you, you go to the desk in the airport and you you trade your your funny pounds money for the good U.S. stuff. And uh, <laughs> you know it's funny though in those desks, no matter which currency you get, you always get less of the other currency in return. Yeah. Well, that's not what happened here. I'll tell you that. Um, now, the numbers have varied on this from 150 to 190, and it could just be the time of day with the way cryptocurrency runs. Um, but ultimately, a lot of it is still sitting in wallets that we can see. Um, I think about 50 or 60 million was actually thrown through some of these mixers which are a laundering thing here. They basically take and break a bunch of stuff down into tiny little pieces and, and toss out the pieces to other wallets. So it makes it very, very difficult to try to track uh, where these funds are going, and especially on mixers that have a lot of people using them at one time. Yeah. Um, it's but, like money yeah, I mean, mixers are like money launderers for cryptocurrency. Is that right? That's exactly what they are. So, you know, they have a pool of these, uh, say, a, a bitcoins that are broken down into small little pieces because you can 
shave them down to nothing. And you put your Bitcoin in there and other Bitcoin that's already been in there comes out the other side. They can change times for that. So it's not like an in and out sort of thing where you can track this wallet dumped this much and now it went here. It does it over time and in different areas. It's it's a very advanced and uh, interesting thing that's going on out there. And of course, I, I there's a small confused. fee. I am still quite confused about this because the whole thing is based on the blockchain, which should be a, a permanent ledger of every activity that's there. So it's not like traditional money laundering where everything ends up going into a casino, a, a, a dry cleaner shop or, 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 or some other cash business where because because that's the objective of money laundering. You, you need to filter it so it looks like cash or it can be taken out as cash at the end of the day. I, I'm just struggling to to understand how the same. I can understand they make it complicated, yeah. But just because something's difficult, I don't think it's impossible. And, well, and um, I think what happens is you you end up getting bits of cryptocurrency that aren't what you put in there. It's not like just breaking it down into pieces. It's mixed in with all this other kind of stuff, so you can't tell what's what's actually legit and what's not because it's broken down and just kind of dumped and mixed. It's it's a very interesting thing. And and frankly, I've had a hard time um, coming up with a legitimate reason for these things. Right. So um, if anyone has an idea of how it could be legitimate, I'd love to hear it. It's kind of like cryptocurrency in and of itself, other than an investment platform and a way to steal money from people. What good is it? Absolutely nothing. Well, I mean, right. like, yeah. Actually, that, that's kind of like the, the fundamental discussion around cryptocurrency from the beginning, isn't it? People are asking what is the legitimate or the good use for it? And not many people have really put up a convincing argument other than, nope. hey, big brother wants to track you anyway, so let's like use this. as. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if you look at how much energy is put into generating these cryptocurrencies, I mean, how much power it takes to run these uh, these cryptocurrency farms where they're they're generating bitcoins every once in a while. I mean, talk about a huge strain on on areas where this stuff happens with the heating, with the actual power to run the GPUs. Frankly, I I am not a big fan of crypto. I mean, as you know, I I I had like 20 bucks in crypto. It's worth about a buck 40 last time I looked. <laughs> it was given yeah, to me. Um, that's, that's pretty much everyone. Except, you uh, know, yeah, it, it varies from between <laughs> anywhere between 20 bucks to like 2 million, whatever, but everyone's worth like hardly anything. Else. But don't yeah, worry, it'll bounce, back. it'll bounce back. Yeah, okay, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway, that's my little rant. Final story. It's a kind of a funny story. So there's an XT mobile store, store owner and uh, who raked in $25 million from unlocking phones and you must be thinking wow that's an awful lot of phones to unlock how much were they charging per phone unlock but uh this guy he used to work for um a, a, a t-mobile store um but then what he he was his contract ended because in 2017 because he was like doing some uh, unauthorized phone unlocks which I think is is kind of like a tough deal because, like, you know, who doesn't like their phone to be unlocked? I mean, why should I have it locked down to one carrier? But that's regardless. Anyway, T-Mobile, you know, ended his contract. So then he 
went all John Wick and <laughs> social engineered some T-Mobile uh, call center workers and sent a whole bunch of spear phishing emails, gathered around 50 legitimate credentials for, oh, hold on, I'm doing, I'm doing a podcast, Jan. I'll speak to you later. <laughs> Sorry, my little one just popped in the room. Um, so, no, don't do that. It's all right. I'll have coffee, please. Thank you. <laughs> Be nice to him. Oh, my, my older daughter's now like telling him off for interrupting my podcast. You're <laughs> like, just making it worse. Like, what are you doing? Why are you disturbing dad? And I'm like, no, chill out. And he's like, I just Timely want to topics. You want to tea or coffee? <laughs> poorly presented. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you need one of those on air signs, man. Come on. You know, that's what they say. But the thing is, I'm in so many like Zoom calls or meetings, video meetings throughout the day. It will just be permanently up there and it will lose all meaning after a while. Can we focus? T-Mobile, unlocking phones, fished a bunch of people. Yeah, so the credentials. T-Mobile things. He, he, he raked about 50 uh, IDs and he used them to get into the systems. And then he was unlocking phones like a bowl. So he set up like some... Uh, some uh websites like swift unlock and what have you and um basically it, i think it was his main clientele were probably thieves because they would like steal phone and what have you and then it's been barred from the network it's been like yeah. locked and everything and he'd be like no problem click 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 here you go it's all working and all legit and all and all fine now so it was he racked in 25 million over the course of the 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 uh the, the few years he was operating so it's it's kind of a, a, a scary sort of, now that's a persistent threat. And again, it goes down to it. What was his way in? It was good old social engineering. He either spearfished them or he sent them an email, but he was persistent. He kept on going. And it's amazing how the, the company didn't even realize that someone else was logging onto their accounts from a different location or, or 50 people were suddenly logging on from this one, you know, basement in, in Chinatown or something. I, I don't know, wherever. But um, it's 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 an interesting story, and uh, I'm shocked. I'm I'm shocked by the money involved here, honestly. For for a simple network unlock, okay, we're not talking about doing like a and what is it? The iPhone unlocks with the iCloud, right? I mean, when things are locked to iCloud, they're locked to iCloud. Um, same with the Androids, where you have to end up putting in a previous uh, email address that was used for it in order to unlock it. A lot of people buy used phones and find that they can't use it. And this looks like it's simply a matter of unlocking from other networks. So you can use a phone on other networks, which I mean, the 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 number involved here is, is a bit staggering. We know that telcos, especially cellular ones, are under attack all the time um, because what they do is um, they use those to get the MFA keys. You know, so you take over something, you do a SIM yep. swap and get MFA keys for cryptocurrency and you rob them for a billion and a half dollars of Bitcoin or something crazy like that. Right. There's value there. I just thought this was pretty interesting um, that it was a much more limited scope. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes to show that there's, there's money to be made uh legitimately or illegitimately <laughs> i mean if if he'd gone through like a proper contract and 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 offered services who knows um what could have happened or he could just become a a uh, a crypto trader because <laughs> they're all making money aren't they right right exactly something like that anyway mm -hmm. so whoa 
Javad went away. That's kind of nice. Uh, for those of us listening, uh, we will be, I will be in Black Hat next week. Um, Javad has decided to stay on his side of the pond. But if you're around, um, reach out to me on LinkedIn or whatever. We can meet up. There's a Hacker One party, I think, Tuesday night uh, that No Before is co-sponsoring. I'd love to meet some of the people there and, and see some of the folks that watch the show. So having said that, have a great day, everyone. Thank you very much. And I will see you hopefully next week from Black Hat. Take care, everyone.